You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. Good afternoon, colleagues. My name is Damendra Kanani. I'm Director of Strategy and your moderator for this Café Crossfire on, as we say, the future of mobility, hydrogen and electric. So we have uh, a really distinguished panel of speakers for you from various vantage points to help us, you and I, um, especially yourselves, engage in a conversation that hopefully um, connects some of the issues on this agenda, debates the right policy issues, and thinks about the kind of policy changes that are required amongst us if, if we're to reach those hallowed sustainable development goals that were part of COP21 uh, that very clearly, very clearly suggested that by um, 2050, we would have <coughs> global warming below two degrees. Those of you who've been living in this world and alive know that we had the hottest year last year and things aren't accelerating in the way that we might wish to. We're experiencing levels of climate change which are disturbing and creating a levels of anxiety across the globe. And, you know, if you've been in Belgium in the past um, two months, you know what I mean. Um, but, uh, and if you've been elsewhere, in the, uh, you know, in, in the globe, you'll see, you also know what I mean, in the sense that the, the, the weather is strange. But actually, today, uh, we want a conversation about how do we get to those ambitious, important SDG goals um, and to ensure that actually the issue of um, electricity or hydrogen, it's not a, I don't think it's a question about whether it's an either or. And I suppose my, the question I have in my mind is, and I was saying this to the speakers, some years ago, those of you who are involved in the industry will know there was this, there's this nirvana moment about diesel. And we thought, yay, we've achieved something which is going to be sustainable and green. And Dieselgate happened, and we still have millions of cars in Europe which haven't been take, taken off our roads by manufacturers, despite what we know about Dieselgate. Um, and I suppose the question for me is, how do we ensure that our discussion about hydrogen and or electricity is not simply a response to the opportunity that presents, us, presents itself now, but are we really thinking ahead to the future? And are we really thinking about alternative forms and pathways that will achieve those SDG goals? Or are we simply thinking hydrogen and electricity are the new winners for today without thinking about tomorrow? So um, we have Jean-Francois Aguinot, uh, from the uh, you know, head of unit for the service transport at the European Commission. I suppose what I want to ask you is, are we... At the moment, we know that China is accelerating at a pace that none of us can imagine. You know, it's, it's, it's as my briefing would suggest, that they're buying, they've bought, they've bought the third of the world's cobalt resources. You know, they're, they're really, they're thinking ahead, moving very fast, yet we're the fourth largest trading block globally, and yet we seem to be lagging behind. Tell me from your perspective whether you feel, from your perspective, are we creating the right conditions and infrastructure, either for hydrogen electricity, but why are we lagging behind? Uh, we are uh, lagging behind uh, with electric batteries. I'm not sure it's uh, absolutely the case for uh, fuel cell and hydrogen, for example. Okay. So, 10 years ago, the Commission decided, and the industry was not very hot to, 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 to follow this orientation, to, to work exactly on electric batteries and also on fuel cell and hydrogen. Two different uh, paths, of course, with different difficulties, I would say. And at that time, uh, we uh, decided to invest in research and innovation because there were a number of technological challenges there. And in particular, we have invested a lot on fuel cell and hydrogen. To give uh, some figures, in 10 years, probably, just the funding coming from the European Com Commission on that is around 2 billion euros, which is significant for just one area. Of course, for electric batteries, we have invested less. 
because there were uh, other aspects uh, which, which were important to have green vehicles. And uh, that's why we have invested less in electric batteries. And at the same time, in the market, things were moving very fast. The kilowatt hour uh, was costing uh, uh, each time less, under $20, uh, due to gigafactories appearing here and there. So I would say um, now with the electric batteries, my feeling is there is clearly a momentum for the time being. And Vice President Sefcovic uh, supported very much uh, the, the, this idea with the EU uh, Battery Alliance. And a, a number of things are appearing on the market. Manufacturers are putting models on the, uh, on the market with uh, significant autonomy of 400 kilometers, for example, even for a small car. Um, fuel cell and hydrogen, for me, is maybe a longer-term challenge, but we need to continue investing there in order to avoid a situation uh, uh, such as the electric batteries where we are lying, lagging behind Asian competitors. Sure, but Jean-François, Jean the infrastructure, if, you, if you're going to focus on batteries, the infrastructure requires, at the moment, a fourfold investment. At the moment, there are 200,000, whatever, if, if less than that, in terms of charges. We need close to a under a million charging facilities across Europe in the next 10 years, one would say. What's the plan? What's the plan? Uh, the plan, uh, I can tell you that uh, already the European Union is investing with public money mm. in uh, uh, charging uh, infrastructure in both cases. I mean, uh, hydrogen and also uh, electric uh, batteries as well. So it's not enough. It's just a, a way of starting uh, to create a momentum. But at the end of the day, this should be taken up by uh, the private sector. This Ab is a business at the end of the day. Absolutely, and we'll bring the private sector that's in this room to, into discussion, but the private sector would say, actually, we can't do this alone. We need the infrastructure support and the, 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 the planning, almost the planning authority, the authorization to have charging facilities across Europe. And at the moment, we don't seem to have a, a plan around that in, in a clear way, because you've got the whole thing about you the member states having doing their things by themselves and you having a role to try to promote either through regulation or uh, your package obviously is, 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 is very clear about the need to improve matters in this regard. Look, uh, the, the answer is uh, the European Investment Bank. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Because if we uh, think just about grants given by the European Union, we will not make it. Mm -hmm. We need uh, some sort of uh, banking uh, intervention uh, uh, with money which is uh, captured by economic operators and investments which are real investments. Okay. Let's open that to conversation up to the floor in a moment. But let me turn to Michelle. Michelle, uh, um, you're from uh, NG. You're the CEO of the, uh, you, you know, your renewable, your unit business for renewable uh, hydrogen. Um, you're in a bit of a, shall I say, a, a kind of a, you've got a wind in your sail around hydrogen. It's really clear that as a company, you are very convinced of hydrogen. Why? And what are you what are you doing to actually make sure it happens across your business unit, your business your business model? Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, ev everyone. So Engie's uh, uh, ambition is to um, improve. Uh, for it's to improve for its uh, client uh, their energy uh, usage and to produce and distribute uh, low carbon uh, energy and ever cleaner energy. So last two years we have uh, reshaped our portfolio of activities and we have uh, sold around 30 billion of assets uh, in the um, exploration and production, cold fire asset, upstream and midstream LNG and at the same time we have uh, invested 14 billion in, uh, in service uh, to uh, energy and also in uh, renewable energy. And as, uh, as a result, uh, we have uh, today almost 90% uh, of uh, our EBITDA, which uh, relates uh, to uh, low emission uh, energy, so which is huge. Mm -hmm. So meaning that we are committed to the two uh, degree scenario. Mm -hmm. 
beyond that, as a pioneer, uh, we also believe uh, in hydrogen and in renewable hydrogen. Okay. Why so? Because we think it's a multi-purpose uh, energy vector, uh, which uh, serves uh, many uh, usage, among which uh, industrial, uh, mobility, and storage. And we believe, and we believe that uh, hydrogen and re renewable hydrogen is a missing link for a 100% uh, decarbonized world. Why so? Again, because hydrogen enables to store uh, on a large scale uh, renewable energy and to manage uh, the intermittency of renewable energy. Um, some maybe some figures. The H2 Council study um, shows that the potential of H2 in the world in 2050 it could represent almost 20% of the energy mix for hydrogen uh, and would achieve roughly 20% of the CO2 abatement which is required in the two degree scenario and will create 30 million jobs over the, the globe. So we believe that hydrogen has a clear role to play and especially also in the mobility sector. Today, the transport sector represents almost 25% of the CO2 emission in the world and it should increase in the years to come with the increase of the population. And uh, it will be uh, a mean uh, to achieve again uh, the CO2, the two degree uh, scenario for sure in order to, uh, to uh, strongly reduce uh, these emissions. So we think that uh, the fuel cells are uh, especially fit for purpose for heavy duty fleets, because uh, with hydrogen, uh, you can uh, fill your tank very quickly in five minutes uh, for 500 kilometers. And also you provide the autonomy that the vehicles, vehicles uh, require. The technologies already exist in hydrogen, some of them in some sectors. Uh, for instance, we already have uh, hundreds of uh, buses, hydrogen buses in the world, um, in Japan, uh, but not only, in many countries. Uh, we have also um, the Jive project in, uh, in, uh, in Europe uh, to, uh, to develop again hundreds of, uh, of buses, and in Korea also. So we have plenty of... Uh, Emerging, I would say, solution and already available and, and commercial resource solution for forklifts, for taxi. Uh, so it's, uh, it's developing, uh, not slowly and slowly, even more quicker than it was before. Trends are coming also, trends sure. uh, propelled uh, with uh, hydrogen. So we see that uh, we are moving all together. But it seems that, from sorry to cut across you, you really are... Um, you're not evangelical, but you're very clear that you know, hydrogen's the, the pathway. Um, how much risk management are you doing to ensure that we don't get into diesel gate over hydrogen? And it's obviously not the same issue. I know it's not the same issue, and it's not, but it's there's, there's that thing about trust out there in, 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 in the public about suddenly now industry and policymakers are saying, now trust this source. Uh, where they've been before and realise actually even today that despite the changes, they haven't seen a change happening in terms of cars being removed from the street. And so there's this kind of element of trust between citizen and um, private sector and the public sector, but also as a private sector, in you know, uh, you're part of economic growth in this country and elsewhere. Um, what, are the, what are the kind of risks you see in this particular form of energy? Are we really thinking ahead, is my question. So, um, many questions. Mm. Uh, first of all, we are committed to do it huh, and to mm. develop this kind of solution. Sure. And we have started, huh, we have uh, some, uh, some examples huh, within, uh, within Henji, uh, some existing examples. We have um, uh, invested in a, in a company uh, together with Michelin, a company named, named Symbiocell, which provides uh, extender uh, kit for Kangoo, and also we have invested in Hydrogen Kangoo, uh, some uh, dozens of uh, vehicles. Uh, we also have uh, participated with other uh, players uh, in, a, in, a, in a group to, uh, to develop uh, H2 buses in, uh, in the Po, in the south of France. 
and also uh, we have uh, we are developing a solution around mobility uh, in a Rhône-Alpes uh, region. So we are committed to. That's not enough. Huh? Mm. Uh, but I, I will take the example of a solar panel. At the very beginning of the history of solar panels, they were quite expensive. They needed and they requested, those, I would say, some support in order to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to emerge and to, uh, to develop cost-effective solutions. But today it is the case. It's not uh, if or should we. Uh, it's already available, available and cheap. So since renewable energy is cheap, I would say, or cost-efficient, uh, it's feasible today to start developing, uh, not to start, but to accelerate the development of uh, hydrogen, because energy is affordable at a, at, a, at a reasonable price. So now what we need to do is to, uh, to accelerate. And uh, also, for sure, we need to invest, all of us, all the players uh, in uh, the infrastructure, all along the value chain from the production up to the downstream mm -hmm. chain, <coughs> including the refilling station, uh, including also the fleets. Uh, and today, uh, the solutions are uh, more expensive compared to batteries. So we need uh, to, support, uh, to, su to, de fin, to support the development of, so of this kind of solution. For instance, some figures again uh, in Japan, where we have already uh, H2 uh, fleets. Uh, the government, both local and central, uh, give support uh, to uh, vehicles like uh, buses for 80% of the total price of the vehicle and for 50 for the taxi. So this, is, this gives you an indication that to, 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 to make sure that of we... Commitment, yeah, commitment and public sector uh, yes. commitment in particular, because those levels... I know about the example, but it's, it, that's why Asia, it seems to be leapfrogging other mm -hmm. players in particular, because there's something about they've seen the market opportunity Mm -hmm. They've seen the market opportunities, and actually it's almost like an investor-save bid. You put loads of money in now because you know you're going to achieve much more later. We don't seem to be having won that argument here. So what do we need? What do we, do we think we need? We need, uh, uh, first of all, support to a renewable hydrogen. Mm. For instance, have a guarantee of origin on hydrogen. This, is, uh, this could be one mean. Also to, uh, to provide a long-term and a sustainable also a framework uh, for the investors in order to have them invest on all the, the value chain, to support the technology, we already mentioned, and the, and the vehicles. And also we need the support of all the players, uh, including uh, financial institution, investment bank, uh, uh, also uh, governments, industrial, in order to uh, invest, mm -hmm. to, uh, to, to engage in the uh, required investment, to trigger the market, to scale it up, to scale it up, this is important, in order at, um, uh, at target to have cost-effective effec solutions. Because today, mm -hmm. we need to invest on a mass-scale uh, dimension, on a large-scale dimension, in order to significantly weigh on the cost, in order this solution to be as cost-effective as they can, in order to minimize the support they need at inception, and then to develop in order at target to be fully competitive. Absolutely. And there's lots of people saying, yes, Michelle, I agree with you. But <laughs> is it going to happen? What's your level of confidence? Uh, this is a provocative question, absolutely. And, but be as honest as you can be, really. How confident are you that we're getting our act together in Europe on this For matter? me, it's a question of mobilization. And we see that uh, we are uh, many uh, in, this, uh, in okay. this room, and not only in this room, in many countries, that we are uh, many to ad advocate for uh, hydrogen. But not only for hydrogen, uh, for a different type of uh, renewable energy. And I think it demonstrates the fact that people today are ready, uh, ready to, uh, to invest and to support. Now to, uh, we have to find a proper way to do it, and we need support again of all the players. Okay, you've given me a very good diplomatic answer. I'm going to come back and press you on that, okay? Because you didn't answer my question. But Greg, Greg, if I may, Director for Clean Vehicles uh, and Energy at Tini, what's your take on this debate? And it's, I, I mean, I'm not suggesting that it's a either-or scenario here at all, because actually the real culprits of climate change um, one might argue, you know, coal, uh, you know, g gas and oil, etc. Um, they are, they have big players behind them, and there's a market dominance 
and to shift that is a very different, different issue for us globally. But from your perspective, in terms of hydrogen electricity, uh, is, what's your take on whether we're doing the right thing now, learning from the past? Is this the right pathway? And is it, is it quick enough, given what we know about temperatures and the pace of change? No, the, pa <coughs> the pace of change is, is not nearly quick enough. I mean, that, that's um, very clear. But I also think the trajectory to the future is also now very clear. It is electromobility. Mm -hmm. We believe it will be predominantly uh, battery solutions, but there will be a role for hydrogen within that shift to electromobility. And that shift is coming about because we are now producing very cheap and plentiful renewable energy that will power our vehicles. And we are seeing a transformation in battery technology and battery prices. So between around 2012 and 2022, it's forecast that the cost performance of batteries will improve by around 100 times in combination. That is utterly transformatory. And when you look at that change, then you begin to see all kinds of options for electromobility which weren't there in the past. Just last year, for mm. example, the price of cells fell by 24% in one year. Okay? That will start to feed through very quickly into the price of the vehicles, particularly once we start to see vehicles being manufactured on the same production lines and therefore produced in volume. We're seeing the range of those batteries improving. The Nissan Leaf has gone from 24 to 30. New one will be 40 kilowatts. That's taking the range from under 150 kilometers to over 300 kilometers. Suddenly the range anxiety issue starts to go away. People actually no longer even need to charge their car every day. The, the pattern is beginning to emerge. People start to charge their car twice or three times a week. Charging speeds are improving. So whereas once upon a time everybody needed eight hours, now the car industry in themselves are investing in solutions which charge uh, uh, to 80-90% in, in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I ask you, why do you need a plug-in hybrid vehicle if you can drive 400 or 500 kilometers and recharge it in 10 minutes? I need longer than that to have a cup of coffee. So, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. The, the reality is that we, we have a massive change going on. And along with that, we now understand that our electric vehicles will complement our smart renewable electricity grids. They will not be causing blackouts. They will actually be helping us to build the share of renewables. But undoubtedly, things are not moving fast enough at the moment. And we would argue that things are not moving fast enough because A, we don't have the right regulatory drivers to push the industry in the right direction. And secondly, we do not have an industry that wants to invest in electric vehicles at this moment in time in Europe. And don't listen to me, listen to BMW, who last week admitted to analysts that they didn't want to sell any more electric Just vehicles a second. at the moment. Do we have anyone from BMW in the room? Enough. Unfortunately not, okay. But I know there are some car makers in the room, but I'll come back. Sorry, Greg. Just no, I want to make right. sure, yeah, yeah. So, the, the, the point I'm making is, when vehicle manufacturers start to make more models available, and we've only got 20 battery models on the market in Europe at the moment, more are coming. When we start to see them priced more attractively, when we start to see more marketing of these vehicles, our analysis provided by a marketing agency shows on average just 1% to 2% of all marketing spend is currently promoting uh, electric, plug-in, or, or hybrid vehicles. So no one's going to want to buy these cars until the industry turns their immense talents mm. to actually starting to promote. Greg, what do you think is stopping the industry from... Because there's a chicken and egg situation here, right? Because actually, if I'm a car maker and I don't see government around me or other players around me changing the infrastructure to make sure that my business model, I will make profit in a model that's going to sell at a certain value, um, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, I will only test it now and again. But I'm not going to go mass in that because actually I don't see the movement out there. Well, I'm sorry, but yeah. look at the facts, mm -hmm. actually. There are already around 10 vehicles for every public recharging point in Europe. Mm -hmm. That's what the Commission recommends as being the right ratio. 
Our analysis shows that if we go out to 2020, when we expect to see a lot more vehicles, the ratio will still be around 10 to 1, so long as governments deliver on their plans to put that recharging infrastructure in place. They've committed to do so through the Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive, and you can be damn sure that we'll be monitoring it to make sure they actually put those recharging points in place. So the point is, the infrastructure is coming, yeah? The vehicles will also come, I'm quite sure of that, because mm. the manufacturers will need to sell them in order to hit their targets in 2020 mm. and 2021. And I think by that stage, we'll be up to somewhere between 5 and 10% uh, of new car sales to enable the industry to, to hit their coals. But beyond that, we need to see Europe continuing to set ambitious goals for CO2 reductions from transport, because ultimately by 2035, we need to be at zero grams per kilometre. We need to have sold the last internal combustion engine in a new car. Because it's only by doing that that we will have renewed the fleet by 2050 and we will have made sure that we are able to be on track to achieve our Paris goals. Now, these targets are possible, but we, what we now need is a strong regulatory push and real commitment from the industry to deliver. And at the moment, the industry is fixated on trying to flog a, an, an old, outdated technology in diesel that their customers no longer but Greg, want. if I may ask you the same question. We have, despite the, the furore of, uh, of Dieselgate, we know we've got hundreds and thousands of cars still out there that haven't been removed from the marketplace. So if you think about when that took place and where we are now and what you've just said, yeah. are you really that confident about the future? Yeah, I am confident about the future because I believe, I believe the batteries uh, and the performance and the drivability of electric cars will prove to be far superior to the internal combustion engine. Mm -hmm. Look at the new Tesla Roadster that does 0 to 60 in under two seconds. There's no, there's no sports car that can do that kind of performance. So people will want to buy these cars. I'm quite convinced of it. But, but Greg, I'm what, talking what about low-income earners. The majority of the population that buys cars, uh, there's, a, there's an income issue here. When you think about but what you've just said, right, there's a gap here between Joe and Jane public out there with not a lot of money, yeah. and actually, let's continue because my, my income package is of a certain ratio, and therefore my, what I will choose to spend on a car is going to be this much versus whatever, and therefore I'm not going to go for something that's clean, green, but expensive. But if you look at the total costs of ownership of electric cars, mm -hmm. they will be cheaper to own and run in the next few years than a conventional internal combustion engine vehicle. So for anybody okay. that really cares about their pocket, they will care. That, that They will choose electric, not least of which I would say the vast majority of cars, new cars, are actually bought by fleets and, for, and companies, and they're also interested in the total costs of ownership. So we, 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 the, the majority of people don't buy new cars. They can't afford new cars, and they'll continue not to afford new cars. Okay. But they will benefit enormously by having really cheap-to-run electric cars when they fall into the second-hand market. This you is a social benefit, not a social cost. Absolutely, but the reality is that money bites out there on the street for people. So but let me y bring you yes, in. Yes, but uh, already studies are showing mm -hmm. clearly that if you take the... Uh, the full uh, life cycle of an electric car compared with an ICE car, electric car is cheaper, cheaper, 10% cheaper. So, I mean, the point is not there. Absolutely. I think all of us might agree with you, but actually in terms of adoption rates for the mass population out there, it's a very different argument and, a very, and they're not seeing a cost-effective model out there that means that what they have in terms of income is worth adopting versus change basically and, th and that's a, there's a cost issue here but let's bring let's bring the audience because this is a really good debate i wanted to kind of um bring in some citizens if i may we have a we have a debating platform called debating europe and we have nearly three million people across europe that engage in debate around a number of issues across Europe. And so we asked a question uh, um, uh, around this particular agenda, and we're also part of a um, H2020 Shape Energy uh, Consortium, where some of these quotes from citizens came. So we have Tomek from Poland, who says, banning fossil fuel cars will essentially ban mobility for low-income people, including 
most of Eastern Europe. Even banning diesel will be a big blow. John from the UK. Hydrogen vehicles are pollution-free and still use the old style of petrol engine. They are, they, they are safe, can be produced on demand, and are efficient. Could they be the future of mobility? Um, Olivier from France. I don't think all cars should, be uh, should ever be electric. We should have a mix of different vehicles on the road with biofuel, hybrid, electric, etc. This would ensure greater resilience and innovation. And Luigi from Italy says, electrification of transport is not an option because either electricity comes from fossil fuels or the materials used to build renewable power plants likely to lead to more geo-ecological damage and pollution rather than prevent. So that's what citizens are saying and thinking about some of this issue. Let me open the floor up to some of you. If I may, and I, gentlemen, I, I know I will bring you in, but I want to bring some of the car manufacturers, some, you know, people from the industry into this debate. And I know I've had my spies out there. I know some of you are in, in, in the room. So we have Peugeot Citron. Jean, Jean Wibault, who are you? Where are you? Sorry, you have your head down. I'm so sorry. Can I pick on you? Please. So can the microphone, we have people with the microphone. Tell me, what's your take on this, um, on this debate, especially in terms of um, cost and adoption? We've just heard, you know, um, it's going to change ma massively, but... Apparently, you guys aren't doing enough. I don't know if we're not doing enough. I think we're doing a lot. Right, tell us. So, we have, within our group, for instance, announced plans in the area of electromobility with both uh, pure electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids. <coughs> we also invest, that's less public, uh, and we do some more research on hydrogen, which I, I thought was the topic of today. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to come back on the issue of the, um, the acceptance of electric vehicles today. Today, the reality, as you pointed out, is still that these vehicles are, on average, too expensive for the modal buyer. And there are a lot of uncertainties about the future. Uh, we don't know how fast these costs will decrease. We don't know uh, at, at what time the conventional cars will be more expensive than the uh, electric vehicle, as, as, as said by Greg. Uh, so we have to take that into account that we will go through a transition with a lot of uncertainties on the cost, on the range, on the infrastructure. So we must tailor our uh, regulatory model in a way that you give equal opportunities to all technologies as long as they contribute to the climate goals. And uh, we need to do that in the way that is as cost-effective as possible. And I would leave it at that. Are you convinced of the need to produce a cheap model of hydrogen, uh, either a hybrid or whatever model that will improve our, our decarbonization of transport? Are you convinced of that at this stage in terms of your investment? Is it reflected in what you're doing in terms of the, the business model you're adopting for the next 10 years? <coughs> I think in what we do, we recognize that for the smaller vehicles, purely electric makes more sense for uh -huh. the future, and that hybrid is an excellent bridge solution for uh, platforms that are based on for larger vehicles. And that's hydrogen? how we see that. Mm -hmm. Hydrogen, we see that still as a longer um, time challenge. Uh, you the cost of the vehicles, the infrastructure is nothing to be compared to the infrastructure we already have. and hope to see in the future on electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. So um, hydrogen for us is still part of the mix, should be part of the mix, but we don't see that in the very short term as a real alternative to what we have today and what we think we'll have tomorrow. Okay, Toyota's in the room too. Where's Toyota? Sir, if I may call you, what's your view? Say who you are, again. It's Stefan, obviously. Yeah, but I mean I'm Stefan Herbst, um, General Manager in Toyota Motor Europe. I think we have a, a clear commitment that by uh, 2050 we will reduce 90% of the emission of all our cars. That means virtually globally. We phase out almost completely internal combustion engine moving to hybrid, plug-in hybrid, uh, battery electric vehicles and fuel cell. We need uh, this long-term vision because it's not just us. We need to take the customer, society and the whole supply chain with us. This is a massive change and the infrastructure, of course, as well. So this is a massive change that we are facing in the mobility sector. Mm. And uh, we believe hydrogen 
has a massive role to play. Why? From an OEM perspective, a pure EV, if you look at the number of parts, has about 300 parts. A fuel cell vehicle has 1,700 parts, almost the same number than a normal conventional car today. Mm. So with pure electric vehicles, we will not be able to sustain our supply chain, to sustain also employment. Mm-hmm. It was said, and that is true, battery um, cost goes down. That is correct. But on the other hand, there is no battery manufacturer today that makes a profit. And that's a concern as well. So for sure, there will be a consolidation in the future. And only the big players will survive Mm. in that market. So you're saying that the business case for adoption to this model is not made, really, because actually, and this, this point I'm making to, to yourself, is that you actually need both the public and the private sector to play hand in hand on this agenda, really. And actually, we need to scale up and sp- speed up, actually, ironically, our approach to this, because actually, given where we are now, we're not going to get there by our, by our target. So what would make the difference for you what would be the business case for you to actually say, we're going to move in this direction? Because you need to do this in the next 10 years. My sense is that most manufacturers need to move in a different pathway over the next 10 years if we're going to achieve the targets. What would make the case for you? What, would you? what do you need? What do you need from government? I think we need a coherent approach and not a focus on one technology. That is important. Because in order to make this transition happen, we need to recognize that we need all different energy uh, carriers at the moment that we have. We need to make them more sustainable. We need to reduce um, CO2, that is clear. And let me just add on on hydrogen, why we believe hydrogen uh, is is one of the key elements. And um, the study of the Hydrogen Council was mentioned Mm -hmm. and that was chaired by um, Toyota. Yes. One one important figure from that is as well that 20% of global primary energy demand today is stored. And why is it stored? Because it is to absorb supply shocks. Mm. If today Russia decides to stop delivering gas to Europe... Yeah, it's a risk management strategy. It's Absolutely. a risk management. Absolutely. And with electricity, we cannot sustain this. But hydrogen has the potential to be transported. It has the potential to, uh, um, compens- to be stored. And so from an economic point of view, hydrogen makes a lot of sense. Of course it does. And we know that in terms of market share, it could be huge. We know in terms of jobs, it could create millions of jobs. But actually at this stage, it's that investment to save bid. Because at the moment, filling stations for hydrogen would be are so costly, are so costly. And you can't easily just adopt from where we are to where we need to be. And someone needs to actually take the lead. Um, I know members of the panel, I know you want to come in, but there are a lot of people in the audience who want to also come in. Gentlemen's been very, very patient here and the lady at the back. So can we just, gentlemen here with the glasses, say who you are, and again, not a, a long commentary, yeah, um, if I may. W. Yaga from Argus. Um, ah. I think Domindra, you know, made some fun, uh, fundamental point is uh, th- the trust issue. You know, so we've had the diesel gate um, we had to change a policy for biofuels. Um, my question relates to, um, you know, the focus on the EVs. But is there a point where we come back and we say, um, I, I don't know, if you, if, you, uh, if you take Luxembourg, for instance, there's, is it 6.9 years that you have a car, the average age of a car? And um, when, when the Commission talks about uh, zero emission of vehicles, it includes all, you know, electric vehicle is zero emission. So the emissions in manufacturing the electric vehicle aren't counted. So will we get uh, Greg in five, ten years coming along and saying we need to change the policy because we're not counting the, the CO2 emissions of, uh, of electric vehicles and for that reason we need to, uh, I don't know, have new targets or, or cha- change things? I mean, yeah. is Greg, can you, can, can you say in ten years, five years' time you're not going to be doing that? And, and electric vehicles are zero emissions. So are we learning from the past? Actually, essentially, is your, is your question is really that actually, it's at that point I made that, you know, diesel was great, and now we know it's not. And are we going to be in the situation in the next 10 years' time? Are we learning I- enough? Yeah, I think we are learning from the past, actually. And, and we're already saying that as part of this new car CO2 regulation, we would like to see a reporting system on life cycle emissions. Every company reports the life cycle emissions of all the cars they sell because ultimately, after 2030, we will need to focus much less on the tailpipe and much more 
on the whole life cycle of the vehicle, in including its production and disposal. So we are planning ahead, we are looking ahead, but we're also looking and seeing what isn't going to work in the future. Biofuels aren't going to work, even advanced biofuels. You can't mm. produce them in anything like the quantities which are needed, and the few which we do produce we're going to need in aviation or possibly shipping. Um, what about uh, biomethane? Yeah, a great niche fuel, but again, a niche fuel. You can't produce enough biomethane from waste materials, particularly when the amount of waste is going down. Power to liquids, you know, another niche solution. But in order to power all of the cars using uh, power to liquids or power to gases, you'd need renewable power, which was one and a half times bigger than the current electricity grid in Europe. It just doesn't work out. So the reality is that battery works because it's efficient. And we know that we can produce the renewable power and we can store that power in the batteries which are improving okay. too. So we are looking at what the options are, but the problem is the other options really don't look very attractive at this moment in time. Yeah, but it's a question of how do we step up the game on R&D uh, to a certain extent to really think about the future. We have the lady at the back, right at the back. Again, keep it short if you can, please. Sure, thank you. Florian Who are you? From uh, Cefic Chemical Industry. Thank you very much for, for this uh, very exciting uh, insight. I would have uh, a question. I mean, first, maybe just to mention that uh, this uh, creates a lot of new opportunities also for, for our sectors uh, in terms of battery development and so on. So <laughs> therefore, thank you very much. One question. Um, we know that uh, currently the fuels that are sold a lot of it, uh, a lot of the price is uh, related uh, to taxes. So I guess shift uh, in mobility and moving to other forms of, uh, of uh, transport will have an impact on the taxation revenues of uh, the member states. How do you see uh, this uh, aspect? Thank what you. What would you like to see? What's your view? Do you want to? Would you? Is your view that we should tax our way into this opportunity or tax our way out of it? Uh, I do you want to increase taxes or reduce them. I mean, uh, yeah, of course, <laughs> less tax uh, is better, and moving to cleaner sources of uh, of uh, so from your perspective, energy let's reduce, will yeah, let's create a tax incentive for adoption and change. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm just wondering how the member states uh, will uh, will okay. uh, look at this because uh, this means loss of revenues for for them. So, um, is it also realistic uh, from that indeed, point of view? Indeed, indeed, absolutely. Gentleman beside you with the glasses. Thank you. Uh, I should have gone first because I'm following up on the point that was made before. Uh, my name's Robert Hodgson. Uh, Robert Hodgson, NZ Europe. Um, regarding the, the argument against hydrogen that it would, would require renewable energy with 1.5 times the current generation capacity in Europe, how would that argument apply to 100% battery-driven cars on the roads of Europe? Because there's, a, there's also an inefficiency in charging a battery and how much energy you get back out of the battery. I don't know how it compares exactly with hydrogen, but there is an inefficiency. Okay, great. I mean, you, you need to increase power generation Great. in Europe by about 8% to power a full fleet of 100 vehicles, 100% electric vehicles. Michelle, can I bring you in? This question of tax and revenues. Because this whole agenda, let's face it, the SDGs, we've had this kind of unique, you know, global alliance, but ultimately it's about supply and demand and money, and money matters here. What's your view on tax? Not just personal tax, I mean, is, is the, is the, is the I, issue reduce taxes or increase taxes to make the changes? I would say changes? that we need incentives. Yeah. So incentive could be taxes, more taxes, less taxes. Uh, it could be also constraints uh, in order to, uh, to ensure the development of solution mm -hmm. and also const constraint on, uh, on uh, the uh, OEM we already mentioned. Uh, so there, there are plenty of tools at the end of the day. And I think we should use all of them in order to, uh, to support the development, not only on the downstream side, again, mobility, so infrastructure on the downstream side, but also on the upstream side. Why so? Because we, we are convinced that if we really want to reduce uh, emission, we have to produce renewable hydrogen. And we have to uh, produce renewable hydrogen from uh, electrolysis of water. And on that, we need also to invest. Okay. And in order to, inve to reduce the investment costs, uh, we need to speed up and scale up. It is the same story. And to reduce the incentives, the support, 
the more you scale up, the less you need in order to, to, uh, to finance uh, the potential gap you Indeed. may have at inception. It's almost like you know, there's the, there are these big players in the room looking at each other and saying, who's going to go first to a certain extent we on this agenda? We need to go all together, I think. Okay. <laughs> all of us need to. Jean-François, <laughs> I want to maybe bring you in. What's your, what's your perspective on what um, Yes, very difficult to, to make a matching between less taxes and more subsidies. Mm -hmm. so somewhere you have uh, a gap. But anyway, it's uh, up to member states to, to, to organize their tax uh, on each product up to them. Uh, now, uh, in front of us, in addition to uh, the techni technological um, challenges we have with uh, fuel cell and hydrogen, I would like to mention also some uh, technological uh, challenges for uh, electric batteries probably the next step should be to go for solid state, uh, to have VIP in Europe and to manufacture uh, these uh, cells in Europe based on this uh, solid uh, state technology. So we have certainly in front of us a very big uh, technological challenge. But you have the resources, you have one of the largest R&D funds in the world to do that. Uh, true, and uh, th that's why we, we decided already uh, uh, for uh, this year and next year to increase, uh, to double uh, the resources for e electric batteries uh, research and innovation, and probably under the next uh, framework program starting in 2021, we will have to, to make an effort as well, mm -hmm. not just for electric batteries, but also for fuel cell and uh, hydrogen. Okay. Can, can I just kill this myth? Very that briefly. Very briefly. That, that we're going to see this big reduction in tax revenues. Actually, things like the Fueling Europe's Future study that the European Climate Foundation has done shows that the additional jobs that are created by not sending billions of euros overseas to buy oil and keeping that money in Europe and creating jobs here in Europe, the extra revenues from, from employment more than offset the loss of, of excise duties. But I think it's important to recognise that if we're going to transform to the future, we also need to tax the use of the car rather than just the fuel. So road pricing will be an important part of the future in order to keep down demand for mobility overall. Greg, thank you. Can I bring other voices into this excellent... Some women also would be great. Okay, um, gentlemen there and then gentlemen there. And I'll bring yourself in. Well, good afternoon, Menno van der Kamp. I'm an assistant to um, Member of European, European Parliament, Matthijs van Miltenburg. And Matthijs is the rapporteur for the Internal Market Committee uh, for the opinion to this uh, action plan okay. for the rollout of alternative fuels infrastructure. And we just sent it yesterday to the Secretariat, so it will be available uh, very soon. But one thing we Give saw... Give us all the dirt. Tell us what's actually happening Well, one, one thing we saw is that we are very, very much in favour of the technology-neutral approach. Um, what does that, that mean? Well, that you don't choose particularly for, like, hydrogen <laughs> or electric vehicles. But, but on the other hand, we saw also the national framework programmes or the priorities per member state. And we could clearly see that, for instance, in Italy or Hungary, they choose for LPG as being their main source. So don't we risk, like, if every member state pick their own priority, that we, we, we risk a very fragmented market in, in Europe? That's my question. Okay, all right. Gentlemen. Uh, yes, thank you. It's Richard Ivans from Foratom. I was interested in the point about solid-state batteries for the future, and I, I was thinking about the, the recycle issue, actually, mm -hmm. for the current battery technology, uh, lithium, presumably, and a big debate raging at the moment about the rare earths, you know, in, in the renewables, in, in the uh, wind power generators coming from China mainly. Um, how recyclable really are the batteries and, and how long will they last? Uh, will you be able to handle all these uh, dangerous materials, shall we say? Indeed. Okay. Excellent. Do you want to come back on this, on Jean-François? Uh, Jean um, I, I can try. A very, very good point, I would mm. say, on, on battery and uh, what is happening is very uh, second life for a battery for the time being. There is a directive considering uh, at the end of a uh, first life that a battery is a waste. So we, we are about uh, um, reforming uh, this uh, legislation. We need still some time to, to, to make uh, something uh, uh, appropriate on, on that. 
but uh, it's uh, absolutely clear that uh, 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 the recyclability of uh, batteries or reuse uh, will be uh, absolutely uh, central, not just because of the lithium there, but uh, in general, I would say, uh, the circular economy should apply there. I mean, do you disagree with the gentleman, you know, the, the committee in terms of the kind of, uh, I, I imagine it's... I it's do not disagree. It's exactly. At the end of the day, I think, and it has been already said, that mm. we need an equal treatment uh, between any kind of, uh, of fuel, provided that it's uh, zero emission or vehicles, provided that it's zero emission. I think at the end of the day, uh, it, should, it should apply to any kind of solutions. Viewed from a global cycle, I would say. Huh? <laughs> current policy is technology neutral. It rewards low carbon and zero carbon vehicles. So it is a tech neutral, technology neutral policy at the moment. But I, I would take issue with whether or not we're really moving to a, a fragmented market in Europe. Because if you look at the returns from member states on the Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive, there are only three countries which are really outliers and are pushing strongly for gas. That is Italy, the Czech Republic and Hungary. Everybody else is pushing hard for electromobility because they see that's where the future lies. Um, yes, we, we, we could possibly have a hole around the Czech Republic and, Ita and, and Hungary. And yes, the Italians are slow with, with, with the take up of electric vehicles, probably because they're highly influenced by Fiat that don't like them. But, you know, <laughs> they, they will catch up when they realize that their gas solutions don't work. Okay. All right. I have time for a couple more. Okay. Gentlemen here. No, wait for the microphone, sir. Again, say who you are and your Paul question. Paul Dossens from Micromatic Research. About the cost of electric cars, the, the high cost. Uh, I don't understand the marketing system from the classic manufacturers. When a new technology arrives on the mark market, historically they implement it on the top level of the cars, the highest priced cars, because there it's easy that extra cost is not a big is it is absorbed absolutely yeah, easily absorbed mm -hmm. but when we see most european car manufacturers they start with the small cars of course if you have to introduce that expensive technology it makes a hugely expensive car so is your point why are why are manufacturers not actually doing yeah, it at the end where it's the most what they know from their business model is yeah. to introduce it at the, at the lowest cost in in a high Selling, yeah. you know, a higher value car. Yeah. For me, that means they don't want to go electric. Indeed. Otherwise, they should implement that marketing uh, Indeed. system. Indeed. Are there any other car manufacturers in the room who would like to have a response to that rather than the panel? Because I, I believe we have others here in the room. Okay, we'll come back to you. Because it's actually the question is that is it is it economically viable but for you to do this? The answer for PSA is quite simple. Yeah. You know, electric vehicle has a certain cost today. Mm. Our customers, 98% of them, will never pay more than 40,000 euro for a car. So it's no point for us to bring a Tesla competitor to the market today because we do not have customers for that. Nobody will take that. Mm. But why is it that Tata in India can produce a car and sell it to the market for less than a thousand euros. And Europe, we fail to be able to do that. What's your view on that? Is that simply because of the cheapness of, uh, of labor and resources in India? Is that? Hmm. I have no answer to that. Okay, gentlemen at the back. Let's, I'm being deliberately provocative because we need to have, the fact is actually we need a proper debate on this. Actually, if we need to move with pace and speed uh, to get where we need to be. What's your view to that? <coughs> Say who you are. Jan Modinski, Hyundai Motor Company. Ah, right. Mm. I hope I was not on your list. Uh, <laughs> All eyes are on you. Go <coughs> on. Two yeah. comments on, on, on the, on the uh, car companies with a T. Um, Tesla is a great company. I would love to drive one. <coughs> the company has never made a profit. Uh, they might never make a profit. And, uh, but they're, they're an innovator, and for that, we should give them credit. Tata has launched a car, it w I think it was less than $2,000 uh, in the Indian market. It didn't sell well. I know. One, one of the reasons is, like, it, it's not, it doesn't even have neutral safety features. It was negative. 
you certainly don't want to be in that car when, when you hit a dog because the dog will survive and you die. Um, <coughs> you know so much. And go you know, on, go on. And, and if you, if you, you know, we have, we have had centuries of wonderful European regulations. Sure. And safety is among the key concern of the European Commission as it is with all the OEMs who are producing the cars that will keep you safe on the road. Therefore, a car for $2,000 or even in the range of 5,000 is simply okay, not that's possible. Okay, that's fine. That, that's kind in of an Asia argument. I understand that, but what's stopping us to move, move what, what's stopping you and others to really move with pace on either hydrogen or electricity? You know, we are, we are number one in hydrogen in Europe. We're number two on hybrids. We're number three in electric. Um, what's stopping us? Our customers are not buying the bloody cars that we put on the market. Because they're too and expensive. And they are. No? I mean, we are also a volume manufacturer, just like, just like PSA. But um, the, the, thing, the thing for our customers is they are afraid they cannot recharge. Yeah. And the infrastructure, you know, like, Goes I mean, back to we, my question, we are yes. going through the parliament and the perm reps here. And we give them three points on what they should do in the mobility package. Infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. The rest we can deal with ourselves. If the infrastructure is there, I don't even, I don't even mind to have emission targets as t &E would propose them. I think, I think they are, they're way too ambitious, they're, they're absurd, it's not gonna happen. Um, it is not feasible. It's especially not feasible since, you know, if, if we look at our colleagues from Toyota, who are also very active in hydrogen, and I give them compliments for this. They ha like on their hybrids, for 10 years, they have not made a profit. If we are moving full speed into electrification, and we don't make a profit for the next 10 years, plus we might, since we are still selling a couple of petrol and diesel cars, plus we might have to have to pay the fines that the European Commission is imposing on us, mm -hmm. and the member states are banning us because they don't put the infrastructure in place Indeed. for us to be able to sell sure. the alternatively powered vehicles. Then we're just screwed, and the five million people in Europe that we employ can go home and work in the tech industry or for Tesla. Um, that okay, would thank be, you, that sir. Would, that yes. would be interesting, but I think it's not going to do the trick. No, thank but you. I, it, so it goes back to the opening uh, as remarks, I suppose. Infrastructure is key. Gentlemen here. Alfred Kloos, ASEA, Association of Automotive Manufacturers in Europe. I want to subscribe to uh, your statement, Greg, that uh, the density of uh, 10 cars per station is sufficient. This is not what counts. The density on the territory counts. I give you an example. Um, a policy officer from the federal agency in uh, Flensburg uh, used to go by car to Berlin to the meetings. It took him regularly four to five hours. And at the last meeting, he arrived proudly in his new electric car after nine hours of traveling, spending five additional hours on looking for charging stations and queuing there for charging his car. That's a real problem. Thank you. I mean, you're, you're no, right. absolutely. The, the, the interoperability issues are definitely serious and they need, need to be resolved. But it's quite false to argue that there is no infrastructure out there. There is infrastructure. Greg, Greg there you're hearing from the industry. The they're saying to you, actually, the industry is saying infrastructure is not in place. Yeah, but they're not telling the truth. <laughs> okay, so you are lying. <laughs> okay, no, okay, this is, this is really, this is This fun. is not me, this is yeah. member states saying okay. how much infrastructure All is right. out there. Okay. Come on. Okay, 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 but, but at the end of the day, actually, for this to happen, you really need private sector adoption in a way that's actually economic viable. Don't come back on this issue, but actually what we're hearing is, and this is not a, it's a no-brainer, it's really a no-brainer. If you're going to create the adoption that you want to move towards the SDGs, infrastructure is key, absolutely. Gentlemen at the back. From the European Commission. I have a question to Engie. Uh, in 2015, the Commission reported that uh, uh, energy utilities were applying a roaming charge for recharging uh, electricity vehicles when you cross a border with an electric vehicle uh, in Europe. Can the company just uh, give up this? It would accelerate the process because I think the Commission took more than 15 years to get rid of roaming charge on telecoms. If the utilities introduce that for electric car vehicles, what's your view, um, Michelle? That's an and this is explicitly in a 2015 report. The last I can question quote. of the day. Unfortunately, I cannot answer to this question because I am not knowledgeable. So uh, I apologize. I don't know if someone in the room has the Jean answer Fosso, to the question. Jean-François, do you have a view on this? 
I can't. Anybody in the room have a view on this? Okay, not something to come back to. We'll note it. A comment I would like to Please, make as a final the, comment. On yes. the other question, the previous one, infrastructure, I, I would like to take another example in Germany uh, for hydrogen. Uh, we have uh, not uh, that many, but we have many. Uh, indeed, a refueling station, but we have no cars. So even if you've got a refueling station, people cannot afford for the cars, and also car manufacturers are not producing enough in order to answer to all the demand uh, all over the world. Did you want to? No, 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 no. Go on, what are you going to say? No, it's a uh, uh, traditional uh, chicken and egg uh, conundrum. So. Absolutely. I will allow the industry to say one final word. Thank you. Um, I would take a look 20 years uh, back. Uh, you remember there was a company, uh, they produced an A-class, even designed the structure of this car to host a hydrogen reservoir for the new fuel cell vehicles, and it turned out to be a fiasco because they believed that this infrastructure will be in place. And it turned out that nobody bought this car because there was no infrastructure. So please don't blame always the industry. Okay, all right. Uh, this is, uh, colleagues. I think at the end of the day, we have to align all the pieces of the value chain because you need the car, you need the refueling station, you need the production at a Indeed. competitive uh, Michelle, price. Uh, so absolutely. this is a question of all the segments of the value chain. Yeah, people know that, right? But life isn't like that. Someone needs to step up and step in and actually take the lead. That's the issue. I'm going to close this debate. It's been really enjoyable. I've really had fun doing this. I hope you've enjoyed this in terms of connecting some of the issues and debating the right ones, I hope, and thinking it's evident what change is required in terms of leadership, but also if we're going to reach the really important, they're not ambitious, they're actually necessary targets in the SDGs, we need greater pace. And the supply and demand equation has to actually change and I think really government ha has to take a lead in creating more and better infrastructure so that private sector could actually feel confident and committed and actually put the investment in to say this is a winner. Anyway, thank you very much. Let's thank our panel in the usual way. You've been really good. Thank you very much. Obviously visit our website for the next instalment of our debates on climate and energy. Thank you very much. <laughs>